Chapter Eight of Captain Ted by Mary T. Wagaman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Eight, Teddy's Friends. That evening at home was an altogether new experience to Teddy's guest. Jim's father, a careless sporting man, had, on his second marriage, put his boy at St. Elmer's to get him out of Nettie's way, and his enforced return to the family circle had not been conducive to its happiness or peace. Mr. Lane's second choice was a vain, silly woman, who cared for nothing but dress and amusement, and the only conversation, when she and her stepson met, was, to use Madame Nettie's own expression, sassing. Ted's home and Ted's family, the gentle little girls, the affection, the courtesy, the happy freedom of their intercourse, were revelations of a world that seemed so far away as the planet Mars from the life Jim had known. True, the supper was not much, as he thought rather contemptuously, but the table was set with snowy linen and delicate china, the round of cold corned beef was wreathed with parsley, the butter molded in pretty balls, and the bread cut wafer-thin, while Margaret, who brought in the smoking flapjacks, was as spotless in cap and apron as if she had just stepped out of the advertising page of somebody's soups. And Ted told of his day's doings, and Kit related her pleasant experience of lunch with Marjorie Lee, and Nell had won the red apple that was Sister Angela's daily prize to her best scholar, while little Rick, perched on his high chair at Ted's side, managed to sandwich in an exciting account of the big butcher's dog that tried to fight Bowser, and got the worst of it. You bet! "'And Jim says nothing of what he has been doing all day,' observed Mrs. Thornton, smiling on the guest, whom she had placed at her right hand. "'I am sure he has been the busiest of you all.' "'Ah, Jim had been so, indeed, but in ways that would have startled this innocent group to hear.' "'You can bet he has,' said Ted heartily. "'Take another flapjack while they're hot, Jim, and pass around the syrup, Mommy Mag. I have a regular Kilkennigan appetite tonight.' When I can hustle around and make money like Jim, it will be time for me to talk. And he isn't mean about it, either. He wanted to treat me to everything going this evening, Mother, but I brought him here instead. And then Mrs. Thornton's soft eyes beamed again on Jim, her boy's friend, until the flapjack nearly choked him, and the syrup turned bitterness in his mouth. He did not feel comfortable until the pleasant goodbyes were spoken, and with the sweet mother voice telling him to come again, he and Ted were out of the house in the clear, free night, their skates in their arms, ready for a skim on the lake. It was bitter cold, and myriads of stars were twinkling in the dark blue vault of the sky. Jim was not given to fancying things, but it seemed to him tonight as if heaven were full of eyes, staring down on his heart and reading all its dark secrets. He felt that if he stayed with Ted five minutes more, he must tell him all, all that those bright stars saw and knew. My dear boy! The sweet mother words kept echoing in his ears. When had anyone called him my dear boy before? He had been such a good friend to Ted, she had said. And the queer, choking feeling came over Jim as he remembered, and he grew fierce and angry with himself and with Ted, with his mother, with everything, with everybody under those watching stars. For the dull, deadened heart and conscience were stirring, and Jim did not like the queer new pain. He would clear off from Ted and— forget. I can't go with you, Ted, tonight, he said suddenly as they reached the corner. I forgot it till this minute, but I've gotten an engagement for eight o'clock. I promised to meet some fellows at the show I was telling you about. If you won't go, I must. 
"'That's too bad,' said Ted in a disappointed tone. "'I thought we'd have the whole evening together. "'But if you can't, you can't, of course. "'Good night, old fellow. "'Come again as Mother asked you. "'We'll all be glad to see you whenever you feel like dropping in.' "'Come again,' muttered Jim to himself after the friends parted. "'Not much. "'You don't catch me at any such goody-goody gathering again. "'You folks ain't my sort, Mr. Teddy Thornton. "'But golly, his mother was pretty and nice.' Dear boy, she called me. Pa, it sort of made me sick. Dear boy, I guess they'll find I'm pretty dear before Master Ted is through with me, concluded this good friend with a grim chuckle. All unconscious of the effect his hospitality had produced, Ted went swinging on down the street, intending to stop for Phil Waters, who would be ready for a skate, he knew. Phil and Ted had been friends since they were in skirts together and pulled each other's long curls and baby fights but the tumble in stocks had not hurt Phil's father, and the family had just returned from Palm Beach. Ted had been too busy to see much of his old chum of late. He now found him up in his own room, with the student's lamp lit and a table strewn with books, while Phil, with his curly head tragically buried in his hands, was struggling with the morrow's lessons. "'I can't go out until I'm through, Ted. I'm up to my ears and conditions now. Father gave it to me hot and strong last night. Said he won't stand any more loafing.' I'd have to study or cut out to his Colorado ranch and make a man of myself there. I have a mind to do it, said Phil, throwing himself back in his chair with a sudden sparkle in his eyes. What's the good of all this Greek and Latin anyhow, Ted? Who wants to know about all these old fellows, Paris and Priam, that have been dead a thousand years? I think I'd rather strike out for the prairies and punch cows. Oh, I wouldn't. Not if I were you, Phil, said Ted eagerly. I'd stick to my books. Any old tough can punch cows, but you, you've got such a chance. That's what Mr. McMahon used to tell me when I got to fulling. He said college was like starting a fellow with steam up when other boys have to cut their wood and make their fires. I suppose that's what I'll have to do now, but if I were you and had the chance, I'd take it. Let's see where you're stuck. Maybe I can help you. And, as two curly heads are better than one, Paris and Priam were soon settled for the morrow, and the boys started out for the park, where the lake, starred with electric lights, invited merry crowds of skaters. But Ted's hour of sport seemed doomed tonight. As the boys were hurrying on their way, a sound of piteous sobbing fell on their ears, and pausing to see whence it came, they spied a queer little wizened figure crouched in the angle of the brownstone steps they had just passed. The small head was bent hopelessly over a basket that rested on the twisted knees, and the little fellow's crooked shoulders were shaking with sobs he could not repress. "'It's—it's it's Humpty!' exclaimed Ted, recognizing the little hunchback boy who sold matches and shoestrings in the neighborhood. "'Humpty crying!' Both boys stared in amazed sympathy. "'Humpty crying! Humpty!' who, despite the twist in his back and the crook in his legs, hopped around as merry as a cricket, and who had a scoop in the match and shoestring line with all the tender householders on a wide and growing beat. "'I ain't crying,' answered Humpty, swallowing his sobs and brushing his eyes with two grimy fists as he looked up at the intruders upon his treble. "'I'm just choking mad.' "'What's the matter?' asked Ted. "'That's the matter.' Thirded poor Humpty, unclosing the thin, claw-like little hand, and showing the banknote clutched there. Two dollars, he continued, swallowing another sob with the words. Give all the change I had for it, and it ain't no, no good. Who says so? asked his hearers breathlessly. 
man at the drug store all the men at the drug store say i'll get locked up if i try to pass it dasn't go home and tell grandma'll wallop me sure who gave it to you asked ted feeling that this was a tragedy indeed a boy answered humpty fiercely gee wouldn't i like to catch him he came along and bought a whole dozen matches hadn't any change and gave me this man at the drug store said there's lots of the queer shoved just that way what what's queer asked ted curiously don't you know laughed phil it's bad money counterfeit father says there are some scoundrels flooding the town with it just now he got stuck on a v himself yesterday in market he always likes to pick out his own turkey and took it from a country boy that's the rascal's trick they send out boys and women to shove their stuff on people that don't know george that's mean snaky sort of work said ted indignantly i'd like to spot the chap that did humpty here you you can't said humpty woefully the man at the drug store says you can't catch them they change their clothes and there's new ones all the time and they never strike the same place twice but they oughtn't to strike a mash boy like me that has a crooked back and a grand that wallops him they oughtn't to put off a whole two dollars on me ted dived into his pockets from force of habit there were only his car tickets for the next day phil dived into his and brought out a dime the last of his week's allowance humpty rose shivering a pitiful little crooked figure to meet grand's wrath let's go home with you humpty maybe we can stave off things said ted we'll tell the old woman she mustn't touch you that phil's father here who is a lawyer was fooled too will you said humpty eagerly come along then tain't far grand's taking care of mrs martin's house while they're in florida we live in the basement the rats come out at night sometimes but there's plenty of coal to burn and it's fine but we don't get no money except what i bring home and grand will be pizzin mad when she finds it all gone gee it was tough two whole dollars never mind humpty old boy brace up you'll make some more tomorrow we all have to get our eyes opened you know and you'll never be caught again said ted cheerily as the boys hurried on their way turning from the quiet residential streets into the avenue where many of the stores were still open gay lights were flashing from cafes and restaurants and the busy world was still wagging on its way washington's birthday was near and the store windows were gay with flags and bunting while in one of them was a realistic representation of the small george with his historic hatchet standing beside a cherry tree that in this case was loaded with jeweled fruit scarf pins rings brooches set with monstrous diamonds rubies emeralds that under the blaze of the electric light flashed and sparkled as if they were the real thing a gentleman with a very hooked nose stood in the door addressing the eager crowd that pressed around the glittering show walk in ladies and gentlemen walk in here is the most magnificent jewels ever displayed on the american continent bought from a great east indian prince ladies and gentlemen who was obliged to sacrifice all the treasures gathered in his palace for one thousand years beautiful satin birthday badge given to every customer step in ladies and gentlemen and choose for yourself the gentleman's eloquence was not altogether unheeded especially as the jewels of the east indian prince were retailing at fifty cents apiece our boys too wise to be caught by any such tawdry bait even if they had any money to spend were pressing on through the crowd gathered in front of the store when ted felt his arm clutched with a trembling little hand there he is gasped humpty shaken with sudden excitement 
catch him oh catch him please there's the boy that got my two dollars coming out of the door and making a mad dive through the crowd humpty caught desperately at a rough reefer whose wearer had just emerged from the store and turned down the street with a sudden rude shove the boy flung the little match merchant from him and poor humpty and his basket fell under the feet of the crowd while the other lads sprang away and vanished in the pushing throng but not not before ted caught a sight of his face it was his good friend an evening guest jim End of chapter 8 Recording by Maria Therese